0: hello and welcome to another episode of read and react i'm ben ladner and joining me on the other line is john sauber how you doing man let's just
1: get into it today it's there's a lot
0: it's that bad huh
1: some of it's upsetting that we're about to talk about you know frustrating uh some is funny objectively speaking looking at you trey young but yeah let's just let's roll into this bad point
0: well, let's start there. Let's start in Atlanta, because there are a couple things to come out of Atlanta this week. It's been a busy news week in the NBA, partly as a result of the fact that about a week ago on December 15th, um, that was the day that players who signed contracts this past off season became eligible to be traded. So typically that's viewed as kind of the start of trade season in the NBA. And a player who doesn't appear to be eminently tradable but like at some the reporting indicates that at some point um he he could be the next guy in line to clamor for a trade the next star to clamor for a trade uh, is Trey Young and somewhat related to that Travis Schlenk announced i think somewhat surprisingly that he will be stepping down as the president of basketball operations um Landry Fields who will step into that role effective immediately and Schlenk will step back as an advisor so who and and I think he cited like family concerns, wanting to spend more time with his family, focus on, I I guess his mental health, which is a completely justifiable reason to step down from an NBA uh, president of basketball operations job. That doesn't seem like the most the most lax time in the world. But yeah, so some I don't know if we'd call it turmoil in Atlanta, but some no, that's rumblings.
1: Just Cause yeah. Nate McMillan, Trey Young stuff earlier this year. I was going to
0: say this on the back I'll- of of a little scuffle in practice a couple weeks ago. It, it doesn't seem to be on top of the fact that the Hawks just aren't playing that well. Not going great.
1: Man, who could have seen this coming? Uh, real, real shocker. To- I'll tell
0: you what, the real winner, and maybe it's just because he's top of mind for me because I just wrote about him. A big winner in this is Kevin Herter. He's got to be feeling great. Yeah looking yeah. at all the dysfunction in Atlanta meanwhile he's become one of the best offensive players in the league all over the in team Sacramento. Team. Yeah, for a team that's fun and good and like actually has a top 10 offense and the Hawks are in the bottom third. Uh real quickly if people want to check out that piece I wrote it came out today fanside.com uh go find that if you want to read it. Anyway, yes, back to Atlanta. Not the greatest vibes in the world and and like it, it's yeah, I don't, I don't really even know what else to say. I, it, the funny thing is, like,
2: this, this
1: it's just all very weird, right? Like, John Collins also might end up being a winner out of this because it feels like he might finally actually get traded. And that yeah. feels like, I mean, there's no reason, like, there's no recording behind me saying this, but it's just the vibe around this feels like, well, if you're not going to trade John Collins, well, find someone who will. And now Landry Fields has to try and uh, trade John Collins. Um, a very, very funny situation, Um, For those of us who have been peeved, by the way, uh, Trey Young has treated teammates in the past, treated people in general in the past. Maybe Um,
0: maybe treated certain uh, reporters as well.
1: Yeah, treated certain reporters.
0: Not going to name anyone by name.
1: Yeah, not going to name any of the hosts who used to cover the Hawks for sure. Um, But it is so clear that this was coming, right? (laughs) This was coming down the road. Uh, And the funniest part is that they get DeJounte Murray the idea of it is actually working out better than I thought it would, except Trey Young won't change and won't help out. Like Dejounte Murray has changed his game; he's playing differently, he's playing better, he's helping more than I anticipated he would. The problem is Trey Young only cares about Trey Young, so uh, you know this is going to go the exact way we thought it would. My question to you, and this is something Kevin O'Connor posited on Twitter, is who's trading for Trey Young right now? Like who is who's looking at this situation and being like? Yeah, let's let's go get him and let's because what you're gonna have to give up is everything to me. Uh, and this was this was brought up. I think it I can't remember what podcast. So uh, my apologies, wherever it might have been Hollinger and Duncan who brought this up. Maybe a Zach Lowe mentioned um, swapping Trey Young for Karl-Anthony Towns, like straight up. Uh, I heard that,
0: it, too. And I also don't remember where I heard it. I
1: know. <laughs> 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 it was, but it was I think that's the kind of situation. Right. And I actually think that's really interesting. I think it might have been Zach Lowe. Um, but the idea of, you know, Carl Anthony Towns playing in a, a more open system um, in, in Atlanta, playing with DeJounte Murray, who I think could be helpful. Trey Young finally playing with Rudy Gobert, right? Like it's just kind of the teams make more sense if you make that swap. Um, Problem is like those trades just don't happen point blank. And like, so then you have to look at teams who would actually do it. And the only one that comes to mind for me is one desperate for a star, desperate for that brand recognition, a team that cares more about brand than like how you're. Playing and how many wins you get really, and that's the Knicks, right? Like that. That to me, that's the destination that makes sense. Which would be very funny, given how much that fan base hates him and how much he, yeah. you know, seems to have uh, animosity toward that fan base.
0: Well, you know, they came to mind for me too, but then I kind of thought, you know, Jalen Brunson's playing pretty well this year. Are are the Knicks sure that they? I mean, I think, think Trey Young's I, a significantly better player than Jalen Brunson, yes. but do the Knicks, having just signed Jalen Brunson to this massive contract, uh, with the history of Trey Young, they have. Do the Knicks feel that way? I,
1: I, I think they probably try and play them next to each other, uh, which would be dumb but funny. Uh, and we all know how Wally Zerbiak feels about
0: uh oh god, let's and, just skip over uh,
1: this. Randall i just uh, saying, he does we, we know how he feels about them. Uh, but I, I do think like it's probably the bad decision a bad decision. But this is the Knicks, they do stuff like that, right? And yeah. they got out when they didn't trade for Donovan Mitchell, who by the way is flourishing in the perfect situation for him, like it. You know I know it sounds weird for me to be praising the Cavs for making that trade and also saying the Knicks did the right thing for not making it. Situation dependent of course.
0: Yeah different um, two different teams in two different places.
1: Yeah and, and I, I just think like this is uh this is the kind of superstar where you really like he could be humbled by this right if he really requests a trade this off season I don't think it would happen mid-year. I think like it feels like crazy to happen mid-year. But like if he requests a trade this offseason or next season or whenever it is like I think he's gonna find out. He's like, "Hey, man, uh, no one's really offered as much as we should get for you, so we're gonna to have to hang on." Because it's like, okay, the the Knicks, I guess, are an option. Who are the teams that would take on the turmoil, though? Right? Like the Kings don't have any reason to right now. Like, I don't. And honestly, if I was the Kings, I wouldn't want him because your defense is already bad enough. And you're like, De'Aaron Fox has been really good this year. We don't. We haven't talked enough about the Kings' individual guys. You mentioned Herder, but Fox has been awesome to his credit. Domas Sabonis has been awesome. Admittedly, kind of what he thought we thought he was. Um, but like, and it, then it's like maybe the magic, and it's like, yeah, man, you're gonna get to go to Orlando. <laughs> like, I hope this is what you had in mind.
0: He actually, I, Orlando does make sense, but I, I just think they're too early in their process to, like, to take that kind of swing. But since you mentioned the hypothetical of him on the Kings, like, th- this is sort of the crux of the the piece that I just had come out today, which is that part of the reason Kevin Herder is thriving, like I mentioned earlier is because he's free of Trey Young. He's not having to play as a spot-up shooter, just kind of a standstill guy who sometimes gets to run, pick, and roll next to a heliocentric offensive creator. He's unlocked as a movement shooter who's coming off screens and making plays from the second side, and it's more of a random, improvised kind of offense, more of a collaborative thing where Sabonis and Fox and Herter are all kind of roughly equally prominent in the offense, and you just can't do that next to guys like Trey Young or Luka Doncic or Peak James Harden for that matter as well. It's just hard to unlock players like Kevin Herter, players like you know Malik Monk for sticking with the Kings. Even DeMontis Sabonis I don't think could be unlocked in the same way he is playing next to a ball-dominant guard like that. So if I'm the Kings, I'm kind of looking at my situation and saying, you know, the thing we have going that works is the fact that it's kind of this decentralized offense, that there is no – you know, clear focal point like a Trey Young who's just going to have a forty percent usage rate and run every single play. Why would we trade for him if we know that that's the way we're going to have to run our offense and what we have right now is working so well? Um, so, it, it, like that's another thing on top of the dysfunction that seems to follow him around. The the attitude questions that have come up, um, the the struggles that the Hawks have had. Trey Young's own struggles worth noting. He himself has not played very well individually, which makes it harder to kind of um to have quite the same cachet i guess on the court and the same command over the game if if like you're not even backing up what you're saying with good play um so if i'm the kings i'm kind of looking at that and saying like I, and and a lot of teams you know if we're going to trade for him we have to run our offense through him and he's a great offensive player when he's playing well but there are a lot of teams in the nba right now who have good offenses dis- despite not having or maybe because they don't have that one central heliocentric player. Um, So that could be another thing that as the league, I think maybe wakes up to the fact that it's not always great to run your offense through the same guy that could, that could hurt his trade value a little bit. And then it, it does become kind of the Westbrook thing, like you mentioned earlier, where it turns out you're not as valuable as you thought you were, and we actually can't trade you, despite the fact that you might want to be traded. For the record, Trey Young has not requested a trade. We don't know that he will. These have just been reports that have come out, and and given some of the stuff that's happening in Atlanta, um, it, it see, we've seen
2: this we've seen situations devolve.
0: Yes, we've seen situations devolve into star trade requests, um, with much less preceding that request if that makes sense
1: yeah and these situations tend to eventually lead to that right um but yeah i I think like you you kind of nailed it uh it is just funny to me right like uh people that lack self-awareness getting that rude awakening is always kind of funny uh and that feels like what's happening here to him or what will happen i should say that being said like if he gets moved and they end up trading him like i think wherever he goes it's going to be a lot of the same like this is a weird thing to say about a guy you and I both think is probably a top-20 player in the league. I, that's probably closer to 20 now than it used to be, though, because the defense is really that bad. And yeah. his refusal to change who he is. Um, but, I like, I don't know if you can win a title with Trey Young. Like, I, I mean, maybe. but I, That construction to me is, is, like, probably even harder than it is with Jokic, someone yeah. who like, I find it incredibly hard to believe you can win a title with.
0: Yeah, the way I've kind of come to think about these guys like Trey and Jokic, and it's it's almost like in 2K where you have like the shot meter. and yeah. some guys, green zone is like wider than others. Trey and Jokic, like those guys have narrow zones. Like you can, it is technically possible to build a championship roster around them, but it's just a very like you narrow wind needle. needle that you have to thread, you know? And,
1: and you need, like is, to me for them, and we're seeing this, I think we'll see this with Jokic this year and have in the past, it's not just threading the needle; it's having the perfect set of circumstances at that time too. Yeah. You nail the construction, and also like maybe a team or two falls off before they get to you.
0: Yeah, perfect. or the conference flattens, you know, like it's happening yeah. in the West this year. Yeah. yeah. Um, you have any thoughts on the schlank thing? I mean, I don't uh, know. I mean, we could look back on. I think he did a pretty good job in the draft, like okay job in terms of roster acquisitions. But that,
1: the Luca uh, trade now looks like pretty bad, though. Like it looks.
0: Yeah, and that that'll always be kind of the defining.
1: Right move of his career. To me, that's like you make that decision and you you're deciding that we would rather have Trey Young than Luka. No matter what you're getting with Trey Young in that situation, in this case DeAndre Hunter. Uh no,
0: no, it it's Cam Reddish.
1: Oh yeah, this case Cam Reddish, sorry. No uh, longer a hawk. Yeah. And and
0: who has also requested another trade from yes. the Knicks, apparently. <laughs>
1: even, even if he is good though, right? Even if Cam Cam Reddish is good, you're making the decision that you prefer Trey Young uh to Luka Doncic. And yeah. you're wrong. And you
0: were way wrong. Yeah, man, I was a Hawks fan still at that time. That was like the last days of my Hawks fandom. And I was in the Barclays Center, probably 200 feet from the stage, when Luca got drafted. And I remember seeing the Hawks logo behind yeah, him as he put on his Hawks hat. Hurt. And I, because I was there, I was on the floor. I didn't know about the trade because I'm not on my computer. I'm not watching it. I don't. I'm not hearing like the real time reporting. Um, even though I was standing very close to Woj, ironically
1: the shoulder and asked
0: him but yeah yeah hey Woj, is he gonna what's happening next he's still a hawk right um but yeah i was unaware until like i was sitting in the press conference and i saw like i was people were texting me like i can't believe we did that i was like what's happening and then i looked and of course they traded the pick and i was really mad because i was you know still attached to the hawks at that point that is no longer the case um which makes me a little bit more dispassionate when we talk about these sorts of or mr hawk yeah um yeah, I don't I don't know that there's much to say about, say about Schlank. I don't know that there's much to say about Landry Fields. We just don't know He's anything about his background
1: there. And uh, leadership. To, to carry that to the next thing, I don't know if there's much to say about this, but the Suns have a new owner.
0: I mean it's good, we can say that. Yeah, it's good I think. Good. I mean, well let's not you know yeah, count we, our chickens, you know, but
1: it's it's like it's hard for it to be Worse. It can't be worse. Yeah. <laughs> it can be worse. It can, yeah. But it's just really difficult. And I hope it's not. And I guess that's yeah. all for you, well, you hopefully- would
0: hope that the NBA would like vet this guy yeah. and be like, hey, let's make sure he's not racist before we let him buy an NBA team.
1: Hopefully uh, they, you know, uh, he they go into the tax and they spend and everything that's best for everyone, you know.
0: Yeah, I just I mean and and going off that, hopefully um this is not a meddlesome owner, someone who can find the right guys to do the right things, for empower him. them, and leave it.
1: You buy a team, and you're a former walk-on at a really high-level program like Michigan State. Kind of feels like you're probably going to want a medal. And listen, I'm not like I'm not as critical about that anymore because I would 100% be medaling yeah. if I had the opportunity to do that. Yeah. But like, it's you know, it, it's not good. It's not helpful. Like, I wouldn't be helping the team in all likelihood. You know what I mean? Yeah. I
0: well, then I guess we just gotta hope he knows ball.
2: Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah.
0: What what else? Where do we want to go next? We've got a few other reports coming out. Miles Turner extension talks, Zach Levine non-extension yeah, do, talks, potentially trade talks.
1: Let's do those two things first before we do the thing that's going to make me mad. Um, Miles Turner opening talks with, on an extension with the Pacers uh, after you and I have talked about years him getting for years him getting traded, and honestly, like this is a pretty cool resolution. I think right, you hang on to him that long. He like goes through that former era, and now he's coming out the other side, like still a part of the team, a crucial part of the team. By the way, uh, and, and with a roster that fits really well around him, I think it's pretty cool that I hope he stays. Right, like Kobe sticks in Indiana. I think the extensions was, was it like around 19 million a year they can extend him for. He's worth a lot more than that. Like I think yeah. you underrate Miles Turner pretty severely about how awesome he is. I would pay him like 27, 28 a year without question. Yeah. Like, well, after. and well,
0: that's that's kind of. That's part of what makes me wonder if part of the reason they're trying to extend him is so that they can then trade him on a good contract, and it makes it a little bit more palatable for yeah, teams.
1: I believe you can't trade him that until the off season, and then you know.
0: right, right. It, it seems they're going to stick out this year, I think. But
1: but, the, but like if you if you stick out this year, you're probably trying to win next year, and then yeah. it's like, well, or what's the point of trading? You know what I mean? Like right.
0: If, but to at you least you have the optionality.
1: Yeah. True. True. But yeah, even even so, if they get him for less than like twenty five a year, I think it's a you steal. Know, like I just think he's one of the best centers in the NBA, one of the, the, a, a true like unicorn type center in the things that he does, right. We throw that term around too much. The three and D center at this level does not exist. Like very few of them are, are this real and very few of them can, can fit this specific role. Right. Cause like, I mean, we'll talk about the six years later, but Joel Embiid is this type of center, but this is not what you want him to do. You just don't want him to stand in the corner or stand along the perimeter. Uh, you need him to do more. Turner is like can do that and is willing to do that. And is really good at it. Um, and the Levine stuff I find very interesting because it's something you and I have sort of talked around a little bit, like them trading Levine, DeRozan, and Vooch. I think they should. They should tear it down. Um, Levine trades are interesting, right, because you probably won't get back as much as you should because he's kind, he's at least a little bit overpaid. I think he's really good still. I wouldn't pay him what he's going to be making, though. And so I don't, I don't know if it's like a salary dump, but maybe you get like matching salary on a year or two – long deal and then get like a pick and a player you know what I mean like it's not it's not going to be the package you would have gotten had you traded them last season I think where you could have gotten like two firsts and a young player two firsts, first two young players something like that uh, I think you're looking more at the get a young piece get a first maybe get a swap and just get out from under it so you can start over um, because they should be trying to get a top four pick so that pick doesn't go to Orlando um, they they need to redo this whole thing they're good I would be stunned if they don't move Vooch right like I can't imagine they're going to if they do that, they're doubling down on this core and like they all deserve to be fired.
0: Yeah, they've put themselves in quite a pickle, the Bulls. This um, is
1: this is another one of those by the way where you and I talked down about how it would go. They get hot for like the first half of this year and then it ends up turning out exactly how we said it would. Like it's it's a little bit and the Suns admittedly are much better than we said, but like it kind of is like that with the Suns how you and I said they shouldn't trade it for Chris Paul and now Lo and behold, like, Chris Paul's not as much of a part of it. Like, you still think they're going to struggle in the playoffs. Like, you know, you're heading down the same path that you were anyways.
0: Yeah. The Suns at least gave themselves a chance. I don't think sure. the Bulls yeah, ever... The
1: Suns, I, like yeah. I said, the Suns for sure should have made that trade. It was a good trade. Like, But, like, it, it is funny to see it kind of come full circle. Yeah, I still stand by that the Bulls should not have signed DeMar DeRozan and they should not have traded for Vooch. Like, yeah, well, look
0: at me, because where are they going? Now, now they're at the point where it does make sense, like, overwhelmingly makes sense... To try to offload those guys
2: and And, but not just offload
1: those guys, but like offload Levine too, who was supposed to be one of the guys you were gonna try. He was like the second or third star. Yeah. We're gonna attract guys around. Now he's 27, you know, he's gonna be turning twenty eight next year. Like if if, injury history. Yeah, it's it's not and like I said, I don't know that it's an easy contract to trade.
0: You know what I mean? Like you it's 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 a negative contract based on his play this year.
1: Yeah, I, but I do think he's, and you know, he might also be a guy, by the way, that has a shorter prime because of the knee stuff. Yeah. Um, but like forty million a year for that guy, I don't know, man. Like, I, I sent to you, like, Tobias Harris and a first and Matisse Thybul for him, and it's like, man, I don't know if the Sixers should do that, right? Like, especially hey, we'll get into this later without Tobias's time, but like, it's a it's a bad like it's you almost like do they trade him to Washington for Beal? It's <laughs> just like. Hope that the change of scenery helps both guys. Like that's a really depressing trade, but one I would consider.
0: Yeah, that is quite a depressing trade. I uh, makes me sad to think about it, it
1: makes me more sad from the, the Levine side of it because I do think he is better than Beal. He fits more with other teams. But they're just like a, like whoever gets him, I think yeah. is better off for it, even if they're overpaying him by because what would you give him? You give him 30, 35 a year, right? I think that's probably fair for a player that skill type. Uh being only twenty seven. Can fit around other guys really well, even with the bad defense. Uh, but it's at a position where it matter, matters less, like the two. Um, you have him locked up till he's 30 or 31. Like that's kind of, even if he is a short peak, like that's when it would end. So, yeah, it, it's, it's you're getting the most valuable version of Zach Levine in all likelihood, but that version still isn't worth 45, 48, 43 a year.
0: Well, the obvious one is to the Lakers for Russell Westbrook.
1: Yeah, but I think that I think that's more likely to be the DeRozan vooch thing, right? Like that makes more sense to me, because um, I cause actually oh, really? for the Lakers because the Lakers can't afford to just get one rotation player back, right? Like they need. I think Levine fits better and is better than DeRozan and Vooch, but I also think just adding two more rotation guys and for all of Vooch's flaws, like playing next to Anthony Davis would really help him in the playoffs. Uh, Yeah. Well,
0: I mean, maybe they could find a way to throw in Caruso if you add a first or something, you know, if you want to get more than just Levine back. But I think the thinking there is Levine can credibly be a quote unquote, third star alongside LeBron and AD in a way that, Russ obviously can't and I think even DeRozan can't really because he kind of has to be the center of the offense
1: I do think though that they kind of need a little more of the center of the offense this year they're asking LeBron to do so much right now yeah they like I don't think having AD DeRozan pick and rolls whenever LeBron's on the bench is the worst thing in the world like that's a especially if you can get some of that passing back with DeRozan that I, I bring up literally every time we talk about him but if you can unlock that portion of him again I think that would be super helpful um, there, there are other like good candidates for Levine though, right? Like there are other teams that you look at, like, like the Mavs, like, going and get someone like that. I think it'd be very, very helpful. Yeah. Um, you know, before they got Mitchell, I would have said the Cavs, like obviously would have been a great fit. Even younger teams that are kind of contending, like the Pacers would make some level of sense although they have a ton of guards. Like, I, I, he makes a bunch of, he fits, right? He just fits yeah. everywhere. Uh, you, you just have to be trying to win now. Um, and be willing to eat the contract. And I think there are on a ton of GMs like that. The Lakers, I would guess, would be willing to. Yeah, uh, that's, I what, that's you... why I
0: like them as, as a destination.
1: Yeah, I still think that the LeBron connection would make him want the Rosen, though. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think that, that also makes it a little bit less feasible.
0: Oh, um, in terms of what they will do, that, that yeah. I think that's probably right. But it just theoretically, what is the yeah, best yeah, move yeah. for the Lakers? I think it's clearly Levine. Because of the floor spacing, like you said. I mean, yeah. it's just it's so tough especially now that Reeves is injured it's like they have so few shooters on this team and, and to add a guy like Levine who's not only a good shooter but he's a versatile shooter he can pull up he can do it in a lot of different contexts I think that would like transform their offense or could at least transform you their offense
1: probably get like Kobe White thrown in there and like that's just kind of like he's not good but he's like helpful to that something team. yeah yeah right he's he's a rotation player in the NBA maybe I actually don't think Caruso helps the Lakers as weird as that sounds, because he he doesn't shoot at all anymore. Like he just yeah. really shoot. He's turned into I think again I it might have been Zach Lewis said this. He turned into like guard B J Tucker, which is a really good player. It's just a very specific player. um You know I I I would be curious to see how he would fit in Los Angeles, given all the poo pooing we all did for them not resigning. It kind of looks now like oh maybe that's not the best fit uh, on the planet for him. What what do you think of like there are two teams I think that'd be really really interesting because of where they're at on the fringes with the Sixers and the Nuggets like I wonder if like do you do Michael Porter Jr. for him like I I think yes which I don't know like I don't know if that's enough for Chicago but they probably would think it is you know because of his age like indeed do you do do Tobias Harris for Zach Levine given the Sixers guard makeup and roster construction like that's this is the tough part with Levine like you have to have the uh, you have to be willing to go for it, but have to have the salary to match. And there aren't a ton of teams like that.
0: Yeah, the Sixers, I would strongly think about that. The Nuggets, I think, is a little more complicated just because...
1: It's tough because if Murray's himself, I don't think you do it, but I... Yeah. I don't well, know. And...
0: and Porter is a little... I think Levine is probably a little better than Porter offensively and plays a less important defensive position, but offensively Michael Porter is kind of what you want there and like I don't know that the upgrade that you're getting like the shooting upgrade that Levine gives you first of all I don't even know if he is an upgrade just from a pure pure shooting perspective but if he is is. I don't know that it's substantial enough that you totally get off of Mike because I don't think Michael Porter Jr. has a like that's not a great contract but it's
1: still kind of better than Zach Levine's contract I don't know if it is so you know to me, to me, it is because Porter, like he oscillates between whether he's trying or not. So the defense comes and goes yeah. and like the athleticism that Levine brings, like, you know, the hit-aheads from Jokic to him would be beautiful. Um, you know, I think I I like that fit. Uh, I But I, I would almost try to ship off Jamal Murray in that instance, too, right? Like I would make Levine the de facto one. And so it's less important that he sucks defensively and and try and really reshape things. Like that's a team that if Caruso was on, like would be awesome. Um, you could really reshape it because I don't think it's. You know, I say this about a team that's up there in the West. I still don't like see it with them in the playoffs right now in Denver. As far as Philly, like I, I just think they're like you kind of can't play Maxi Harden, Melton, and Levine. <laughs> like that's kind of where they'd be at. Like I already think they're going to be in a tough spot where when Maxi comes back, and we'll, again, we'll talk about that. But uh, like I don't, I don't know that I would do that as much as I love Zach
0: yeah, I mean, since you brought it up, I was going to save this for later, but since you brought it up on the Nuggets thing, you know, I do kind of wonder if they're better off without Murray or Porter. As I, crazy as that sounds,
1: I don't think that's crazy.
0: I was, because I, I, I was watching, I know you watched this game too, the, their game against the Grizz the other night. Yeah. Number one and number two in the West on national TV. Great yep. game. Really fun. But you're watching the Nuggets and the lineup they started with was Jokic, KCP, Bruce Brown, Aaron Gordon, and Christian Brown. Christian Brown, whatever. They closed with Jeff Green, which, you know, that's fine. Fifth fifth guy in the closing lineup, interchangeable. But those four of Jokic, Brown, KCP, and Gordon, I think Bruce Brown, first of all, I think Bruce Brown has been better than Jamal Murray this year. Part of that is Murray coming off the ACL. But number two, I just wonder, like, Jokic is so good offensively, They're creating wide open shots on almost every possession, regardless of whether Murray and Porter are there or not. If Jokic is on the floor, they're getting wide open shots. And so my thinking here is kind of like if you're shooting layups and wide open threes, Murray and Porter are at their peak are better shooters than anyone else the Nuggets have. But if those are still going to be high efficiency shots, if you're still getting the best shots in the game offensively, would you be better off having a Bruce Brown as your nominal point guard so he can guard guards and just putting out more versatile defenders around Jokic if you know your offense can be at that level anyway? Like that thought occurred to me, and it feels like to say it out loud feels crazy because those are ostensibly their second and third best players in Murray and Porter. But I just think with how good Jokic is offensively, I, I I honestly don't know if it matters who your second best offensive player is if he's doing the kinds of things he does offensively. And so if that's the case, is their best closing lineup in the playoffs a lineup that doesn't include Murray or Porter? I think that's possible. It's yep. debatable who the fifth guy would be. Maybe it is Jeff Green, but he's kind of old. But if they make some kind of trade and they can get a guy who's a fifth or fourth or even third guy in a closing lineup, I think you think about that.
1: Would you rather have those two guys or De'Anthony Melton with Jokic? Oh God, I think it's clear.
0: Don't don't tease me with the Melton I think, Jokic hypothetical. I think
1: it's abundantly clear that it's mountain
0: Yeah, I mean, in a I vacuum, would you rather have anything or Melton and Jokic? I'm taking Melton and Jokic. That would be the coolest two men. That'd be like the the Steph and Draymond, except kind of like switched.
1: Yeah, but yeah, that's. But I think that's and like. Jamal Murray's not a top 30 player in the NBA. There's Michael Porter Jr. You yeah. shouldn't be making decisions around that. Right? Like the, yeah. the, and it the, seems
0: cold because Murray's their guy and he's been with them and he's part yeah. of the core and he had bad luck with the injury and yeah. all that. But, man, hard not to think about.
1: Jamal Murray is just not helpful at all right now. Right? Yeah. And like part of the issue is he's never been a great shooter outside of one season. Right? He's always been a pretty average shooter. And so he's not as helpful offensively as you think, and he doesn't have the blow-by to, to beat guys. He's, he's a difficult shot maker. He's in the, the vein of the guys I always criticize, the Devin Booker types. And, again, Booker's been a bit of different player this year. But like what Booker and Mitchell were last year, what Beale is, like those types of guards who don't really space the floor extra, like someone like Zach Levine does, but also take bad shots and hit them semi-efficiently. Like he – another guy that, like – I don't know if he's that good offensively, right? Like, I, I don't know if he's as good as we think he is or if Jokic is just opening things up and he's bad enough defensively now, especially yeah. like move as well. Like, it's it's clear that the injury, like, did some, you know, he's behind. Um, and he's, by the way, this is not, like, really year one of his recovery. This is, like, year one and a half because he was hurt yeah. almost two years ago now, right? Like, this is, you know... This could be who he is, or close to who he is. He's not playing a ton of minutes either, comparatively speaking. The second lowest total of his career, uh, from on a per game basis. Like, and I'm I've always been down on Porter. I don't need to say much there, but yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I don't think that's I think that's correct, right? I think yeah. that that you would rather have, like, I would rather have just to pull from a team that we're about to discuss. Like, I'd rather have D'Anthony Mountain and PJ Tucker than my, or than uh, uh, Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. If I were the Nuggets.
0: Yeah. And it's tough too, because even if you want to give him the benefit of the doubt and say Murray's still coming back and he's going to take time, wait till next season. That's when he's really going to get back even to
1: the best version of him in 21 wasn't as helpful as you would think.
0: I agree. But, but like, again, even if you're giving the benefit of the doubt, Jokic is 27 and in the middle of arguably the highest offensive peak we've ever seen. We've talked about the flattening of the Western Conference this year, how there's parity, how it's kind of wide open. The Nuggets are in first place right now. Or I think t- maybe tied with the Grizz for first place after that win a couple nights ago. Now is the time for the Nuggets. I-, I don't know that they're gonna get a better opportunity than this year. I don't know. It would be a shame in five years when Jokic is 32 to look back and say, yeah, they had a chance in his age 27 season, and they just they didn't have the roster around him, you know, that you need. We talked about threading the needle with Trey Young, same logic kind of applies to Jokic. They might have a chance to thread that needle this year. It would it would be a bummer to look back and just say like, yeah, you could have done it in twenty three, but you weren't willing to trade these two guys. And, and you know, I'm not. I don't want to write off Porter and Murray. They're still good players, and they're better than like the replacement level or sub replacement level players that are coming off Denver's bench. But if you get something better than that back for them, I don't know. I, I feel like I feel like a like a cold hearted, like callous human being right uh, now for suggesting they should trade Jamal Murray. But I, I think just from that cold logical perspective, it kind of makes some sense.
1: It's the best basketball decision. Like if they could get DeJounte Murray for Jamal Murray, like again, uh, there are plenty of guys out there that fit significantly better than this roster does. Uh, he just
0: clicks so well with like the role players plus yeah. Jokic. Jokic and four role players is, like, the ideal setup for the Nuggets.
1: I think the problem will always be that the defense is never going to be good enough. Like, he would need, like, Murray and Marcus Smart as DeJounte Murray. Well, how
0: how about this? Because this is one I was tossing around in my head. Murray for OG Ananobi. Or something structured around that.
1: I don't think Toronto does that.
0: Okay. I don't need... Well, that's tough.
1: I mean, he's only 25, but, like, the injury stuff would scare me off if I was Toronto. And they're in a weird place and OG is like a good enough asset you could probably just get picks for him and and feel better about it than you know hoping Murray's fully healthy. Uh, I think they'd be more likely to do Porter for What Andrew. about
0: Murray and Porter for OG and like
1: Fred VanVleet?
0: Maybe, yeah, maybe Fred VanVleet. I think you think about that both teams I, I wouldn't do it
1: if I was Toronto because again I'm down on those guys but I think they probably would
0: interesting construction because of partly because of where Toronto is they have not been good this year I got to go ahead and just do a mea culpa on the Raptors I I thought they were going to win like 50 games this year (laughs) I was just dead wrong yeah so it's not been going great
1: they need to tear it down like to the studs what about Siakam Siakam? like could the Nuggets get Siakam Uh, that's the one that's Siakam and Ananobi somehow oh my god
0: don't god we need to stop this I'm
2: sweating (laughs) No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Okay. Well, speaking of uh, big men led teams lacking their second and third best offensive players. Clunky transition. Just Hey, listen, I had to get us from the, you did your yeah. to the sixers <laughs> somehow. Yeah. yeah. The Philadelphia 76ers, the hottest team in the NBA right now, John, you got to be feeling
1: on top of the world. Nope. (laughs) Never am. Uh, It's just like, I don't know, this, the the coolest part about this is seeing Tobias Harris, like the incredible, like he's playing like an all-star, but he's doing it within his, like everyone always says about the all-star within their role. He's playing at that actual all-star level though and playing perfectly in his role, um, which is not something you see too much. He's been shooting off the catch like, immediately this year not something we're used to seeing what a concept i I know averaging 5.4 attempts three point attempts per game which i think is second or third in his career like i think it's second highest in his career shooting 42 percent from three true shooting percentage over 60 percent like he's when he takes those mid-rangers they're good right like you're happy with them the situation is calling for them right um he's moving the ball he's defending at a really high level he defended De'Aaron fox the other night It's like a week ago maybe a week or two ago and he defended him really well um, it, it's why I say, like, I don't know if I would move Levine for him right now, right? Like, Tobias Harris is without a doubt not the problem. Joel Embiid is without a doubt not the problem. Anthony Melton is not the problem. Keep going. And who are the other I, players Maxey on Steve? Tyrese Maxey's not back yet. Uh, so he can't be the problem.
0: Must be uh, someone else.
1: Yeah, PJ Tucker's playing pretty well.
0: Is he Get doing left. things on offense yet? I haven't watched them in a little while. Is he no, doing things really on offense
1: care. yet? He just staying in the corner. Play four on four. Let him stay in the corner. That's fine. Jake Milton playing pretty well. I think I got everyone that we needed to talk about. Yeah, those
0: know. are all the guys that are playing well. Yeah. yeah.
1: I think those are all the guys. I don't know if we need to talk about anyone else. I actually don't think like James Harden's playing that poorly for what's worth. Like, I think he's playing well. It's just like this fit is not clean. Right. Uh, and it's not as fun as you would expect. Like I, his athleticism wasn't coming back. He looks a little better than last year, admittedly, from a, a speed standpoint. He he's found ways to, you know, take advantage of defenses, even if he isn't as fast as he used to be. Right, that mid ranger. Um, he's he's more powering through contact rather than just trying to get the the foul call, um, which is is good to see. Um, he's he he's still like. An active defender, like he gets really opportunistic steals. You know what I mean? Like he's very handsy in that sense, which is helpful in the regular season and won't be in the playoffs when he's not paying attention to the ball. But I, I like, it, we, I texted you this earlier today. Like, I kind of just, I wish the back, backcourt was Tyrese Maxey and D'Anthony Melton and they went and got like a big wing. But like, who's the big wing you go get? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it, is it OG, like, well, are the Raptors trading OG for James Harden at this point? Maybe, but. I don't know. It's, I think uh,
0: they'd trade OG for Maxi.
1: I wouldn't. I'm not like if Maxi goes, it has to be for like Durant, right? Like that's the level of player you have to. Yeah. He, I know he got hurt, but he was way too good before that injury. Like that game that he went out against the bucks. He was like, he had like 30 at halftime or something like that. He's, he's far too good to, to give up for someone like OG as much as I would like OG on this, on this team.
0: Yeah. I think you, you said it well, it's, it's, Maxie's good. Harden's playing well. He's diversified his offensive game a little bit. PJ. Tucker's fine. I wish he did more on offense. Yeah, I wish he problem. were a, a yeah. little more empowered, but like, he's fine. Tobias Harris is playing well. None of these guys are the problem. like to use your phrase. But Doc Rivers is well, I, I was going to say that you' p j. Tucker this season is a great example of the difference between a coach like Doc Rivers and a coach like Eric Spolstra. Because the Heat used him as a DHO guy, as a cutter, as as a baseline guy who, who you know, moved from short corner to short corner, a passer within the offense. The Sixers are doing nothing with P.J. Tucker. They're like, yeah, if you get the ball, shoot if you're open, but you're probably not going to be open. So just, you know, it, don't even, like, try to get open. Like, just stand here if you happen to be open, like, fine, but we're not going to do anything to actually get you open. And it's just not, I don't know, it's not the ideal use of P.J. Tucker or any player. <laughs> But to, there, to... Was,
1: there was a, a moment in, in that Lakers game, like I think two weeks ago now, whenever it was, Sixers played the Lakers on a Friday night on ESPN where they blew the lead down the stretch. Where there was a very large part of me who was like, Man, I really hope the Lakers win this game because that's getting dock fired. Like, that's the end of it. Like, that's. This is not... where
0: you've been for three
1: years. I know, but it's like rooting against your own team so the coach like, can get fired <laughs> so this sucks. team can I, do better i hate it so much like I, I i hate it i hate it i hate it but it's like he's what you you just laid it all out right why how they're completely misusing pj tucker who doesn't look like he's lost a step by the way like he looks like the same player he's just being used differently used poorly um for what it's worth too, like Embiid, i think is strongly back in the mvp discussion uh the counting stats people will start to love him now too he's leading the league in scoring uh he is. I heard that today. That surprised me. What? That he's leading the league in scoring? Yeah.
0: I mean, I don't, I never check <laughs> was- on the scoring leaders, so maybe it yeah. isn't surprising, but do you know, what yeah. he's
1: averaging a game like to do it. Like it's not, well, like- I know
0: there's like eight guys who are over 30 right now, so it's got to be like 33.
1: He's not, aver- yeah, I was going to say, it's not like he's averaging like 29, he's averaging 32.5. Like that's, uh- you know, and he does it very quietly because I think he is now in the stratosphere of player where it's like, he drops 40 a- on a hyper-efficient night and dominates a team defensively. It's like, yeah, it's just kind of what he does. Uh, he's shooting a career high, true shooting percentage, 63.8%. So far this season, uh, you know, he has been a monster defensively. His assist rate is all the way up to 25.4%, which good. is, uh, is especially for that position for having the role. He, we talk about Jokic being astronomical from that standpoint and B being what he is defensively and now being like n- no longer a good passer to, he's a great passer, yeah. uh, to in like one of the best scores in the nba one of the best defenders at the most valuable position he is i mean it's, it's crazy to say he's taken another step but he just kind of does it every year like he just keeps getting better and better and better and you know i for my money like he's at the top five of the mvp discussion at this point uh i think he I think would, so and especially with how well the team is playing and a lot of it is just like yeah look at this monster of a human being destroy teams on both ends of the court every night
0: yeah, I think before the rise of Jokic, we would have looked at that 25% assist rate for a center and been like, oh my God, this is crazy. Who? How can he possibly do this? But Jokic has sort of recalibrated the scale because yeah. he's just, it, we we should almost like exclude Jokic when we talk about the best passing bigs because it's he's just yeah, in
1: especially his own because like truth be told he kind of just doesn't play the five right especially because of what they have to do defensively to make up for him like no aspect of his game is playing the five anymore other than he's near the rim defensively he really is a four uh you know and, and like he's that's,
0: just a oh whatever I mean yeah, he's a, a point thing. guard but he's also posting up but he's also huge
1: and, but like like I just think like it's you know the way like he brings the ball up. uh, he's not. Living in the same areas that Embiid is, which by the way, I think one of the biggest advantages that Embiid has uh, taken advantage of this year is he's not posting guys up. Right, he is that hang dribble pull up from like 18 feet feels like it goes in every time, uh, and he's it's kind of saving his body. He doesn't have to be yeah. active offensively when he's just getting into that shot, which basically is like a layup for him at this point. Like it's a hyper efficient shot that most guys don't hit at that rate. Um, you know, he is. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of awesome, man. Like, from the fan standpoint of, like, being a Sixers fan my whole life, like, this is the best player I'll ever see for this team. I mean, there's a reasonable chance he's a top 15 player of all time when all is said and done, uh, if not higher.
0: Well, and going off that, you made a good point about kind of saving his body. And I think we've seen his defensive effort kind of wax and wane. I don't think that's a huge problem because I – he should be saving himself a little bit on that end of the floor, but not posting up as much. This is just something that elite players do. Part of it is skill development. Part of it is just intelligence and figuring out tricks. I think John ja Morant, I noticed the other night is has kind of gotten into this category of just, okay, I'm in year four, year five, you know, in some guys cases, year ten. I know just how to get eight extra points on a given night that I don't really have to work that hard for just cause I can use tricks or I know tendencies or whatever it is. And Embiid is kind of getting to that level where, like you said, he's gotten so good with that hang dribble 12 foot jumper or whatever that he doesn't need to pound guys in the post, even though he can, he doesn't need to put that toll on his body. Um, he knows how he can manipulate the floor a little bit more, find cutters, kick out to shooters, just make things easier for himself on offense that in a way that doesn't require as much effort from him. And, Hopefully that'll pay dividends uh, down the line when they get to the playoffs. But uh, like going back to your initial point, it's it's not like any one guy is the problem. It's just kind of like,
1: and they're winning, by the way. They like, are.
0: But you like when you when I look at this team, it's like okay, Harden and Maxi both good, but I'd kind of rather have Harden or Maxi and then a Melton in that role. PJ Tucker and Tobias Harris.
2: I've actually
0: done both yeah, fours. Yeah. Like they're both good, but I'd kind of rather have one and then maybe a little bit more versatile guy on the wing. That's more kind of a pure three, like an OG and an Obi type of guy. And yeah, you just kind of I go don't up think and down. It's
1: and as much of an issue as it was at the beginning of the season because of what Tobias has done, like I actually think yeah, I a, agree. The hard I agree. thing is an issue for sure, but like the the three four thing, I don't I don't see as a problem.
0: Yeah, but it's just like especially with the emergence of Melton, I think you got to find a way to get him more minutes, and that's hard because are you playing three guards with Maxi and Harden and Melton? And then you're picking one of Tobias Harris and PJ Tucker. Are you playing bigger and you're putting one of Maxi or Harden on the bench? I mean, that's kind of tough too. So it's just, there's no ideal solution. Maybe that's fine. Maybe it's just good to have six guys that you trust, but.
1: They have too many good players, which is not a problem that the Sixers have had recently. Yeah. Uh, And maybe
0: maybe that's, maybe it's that simple, but I don't know. I just kind of, I wish that they (laughs) had somewhere like, some kind of pivot point in the lineup where you you, there's they just
1: Paul George.
0: Yeah, so I mean that would be ideal, but sure like I someone to good kind good. of bridge the gap from like pick and roll creator, which they have two of, to kind of combo forward bit player. I wish there were someone in between those two points on the positional spectrum to kind of tie some of those lineups together a little bit better.
1: I think they have. That. I think that's Melton, right? And that's why they have so many lineups that work. It's hard to pick who the final five is going to be, but they—it's because they have too many guys, not not enough. Uh, and it's because you have to bench someone good to get Melton on the court yeah. him there. Um, and I think Maxi coming off the bench could be helpful, uh, right? I think, and I don't think it would harm anything, right? You could play him thirty some minutes a night still. You could play him and Tobias Harris together and have Harden and Embiid. Yep. And at this point, like by the way, I would not stagger Harden and Embiid. I would have those two on the court together at the same time. Uh, you got to make sure that's working, and it is right now. Like. But it, it 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 is weird with this team. Like, they're 18 and 12. They're not the hottest team in the NBA, by the way. Uh, we can talk about this team some other time. We're going to have to as much as we don't want to. The Nets have lost oh, the and row.
0: And also, uh, also the Knicks. Yeah. We should uh, say that, too.
1: Well, the Knicks lost their last game, so we don't have to worry
0: about it. Non, Non-New New York category, the yeah. Sixers are hottest team in the NBA. So I guess they're not even the hottest team in the Atlantic Division.
1: Yeah, they're the third. <laughs> now they're the second hottest behind the Nets. Now yeah. that the Knicks have lost. But no, I, I like like things are going really well and it, you're just kind of waiting for it to happen. Right. For the other shoe to drop because, and it's entirely because of this, because their head coach isn't good enough and because he makes bad decisions. And I don't know. I, I, that's why the vibes are so bad, right? Like most teams win six in a row and it's like, Holy shit, look at this team. Like they're, they're on a run, like the nets, like, honestly, like the nets are like making me feel like, Oh man, this is the team, right? Like they're going to be doing it now. Um, and the nets
3: are
0: actually playing basketball yeah they're a basketball
1: sure. team now imagine yeah, that shout out, shout out to ben simmons for playing really well too um he's he yeah. credit for that uh, but like the the sixers are playing just as well and i actually have a player better than anyone on the nets yes they have a player let me say that one more time and i know you agree with this
0: we don't even need to reiterate at this point i, I think it's just it's accepted
1: yeah <laughs> uh, but like and and we just they're not getting the run uh, that that you know when it comes to like you know show like talk show podcast whatever but like it's partially because the vibes are kind of like just like, well, we'll see. Like it's coming. We all know it's coming. And you know, they almost blew the first game of this winning streak because Doc Rivers is so incompetent. Uh, it's, you know, I don't know that you fire a coach in late December, but I really wish they would.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, I think we've said enough about Doc Rivers. I think, I think the our opinions of him are well known. The one I will say, like on the Harden front. I'm a little concerned about him just because he's not the same finisher at the rim and he was never a great finisher at the rim, but like he's just not shooting 50, 57% at the rim. That's four within four feet of the basket. He's not really a guy that you have to worry about in quite the same way, getting that first step and then getting all the way downhill. And he obviously is not exploding, you know, around the basket the same way he used to. So that makes that Harden and bead pick and roll just a little bit less Potent because you can kind of game plan and say, okay, we're going to force Harden to sh- shoot a layup instead of abandoning Embiid and unlocking Harden's passing. I think as he loses that interior finishing component, it's possible that his pocket passing and his kickout passing and just his overall playmaking game weakens a little bit because he doesn't have the threat to lean it against. Um, and that could be an issue come you know when the playoffs roll around because you know, in addition to all of the other struggles he's had in the playoffs, if you compound it with that. Um, that's just a little bit worrying, but but maybe they've made up for that in other areas of the roster with Embiid getting better and Melton being really good. Um, that they they can offset that. I, I don't know what the answer is.
1: Two more things before we presumably wrap. Like Melton also is getting a lot better. Like I don't want to cap his ceiling anymore, right? Because he is like doing things that we never thought he would. The way he's shooting, the way he's, you know, handling the ball and pick and roll and even the decision making. He's uh, been
0: even better than you and I thought he would be. And, and we love that I, trade.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we would have talked for about it for four hours if, if we had the time.
2: Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good
3: polar vortex. oh <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here?
2: Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived.
3: Shh.
1: So the the one of the reasons, though, that I'm not maybe as worried about Harden as, uh, I, I don't know, maybe I'm talking to myself like this, but the, uh, the percentage of shots he gets fouled on is around what it was that first year in Brooklyn, right, when everyone was like he was an MVP candidate. He's getting fouled on 14.9% of his shot attempts. Now it's 14.5, lower than usual in his career, yes. But in Philly last year, it was 23%, which would have been a career high, right? So like it's, you know, this is a conscious change. It's not an athleticism change, I think. He is shooting less at the rim. All of those shots, though, are moving to the mid-range, and they're efficient. They're not as efficient, to be clear. Like they're not as efficient. So there's a slight dip in efficiency, but they're still efficient shots because he's making them enough. Um, you're you're making them as he's making them as much as you would want someone that shoots that many to. Uh, and I think that's really important. Like you said, he's never been as good of a rim finisher as I think people wanted him to be. In part because he was. Like he's trying to draw the foul and that was more of where that was coming from, why you know where his efficiency was coming from. He's still getting fouled a good bit. He's in the 89th percentile when it comes to drawing fouls. like it's not like it's you know plummeted. Uh, but yeah, I'm not as worried about him as I was. I think most nights in the playoffs, what will matter is is his shot falling? because this dude is still like one of the best passers in NBA history and there are still some passes he throws. I'm like, man, how did he how did he get that there? Uh, the, the, the issue is to me what he's doing when he doesn't have the ball in his hands and there's not as much movement, but he is catching and shooting more, which is something that like, I really wanted to see. I shouldn't have the stats on me to back this up. I was looking at this earlier or not earlier. No, I think early.
0: you're right. I saw him take a catch and shoot three the other night, which I think is one more than he took last season.
1: <laughs> Listen, in, in Philly, he did take some like to give him, to give credit where it's due. Uh, he did take some, uh, he did not. He did not take many, but he did take some. You know what
0: else I saw the other night? Speaking of NBA rarities, I saw the Dallas Mavericks run a fast break with Uh, Luka Doncic uh, on the court. Sorry, but I don't believe you. I swear it happened. I I need to go find the video so we can prove it.
1: You need to tweet that uh, so we can get the proof because I refuse to believe that until I actually see that happen. In
0: fairness, it was more like a semi-transition kind of thing. Like It wasn't like a real open court push, but like, hey, progress, one step at a time.
1: So because I have the numbers in front of me now, uh, Harden is averaging 1.4 threes attempted off the catch. He averaged 1.2 in the Philly last season. Um, and I believe that 1.2 might've been a career high.
0: That's actually way higher than I was expecting.
1: Yeah, I know me too. Okay, I'm not gonna lie. I thought, but like that's, I mean, that goes to show like, some of it is like, we're just kind of hard on James Harden. Right? Yeah. Like, and we always have been uh, you know, Speaking I think you of
0: know. numbers that surprised me, I actually just looked up DeAnthony Melton's true shooting percentage,
1: oh this will be- it's only 54%. No. I know, right? No, 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 no. It feels better than that. It feels find like— a different, Find a different number. That it's like
0: Dante DiVincenzo. Not- Every time I watch Dante DiVincenzo, I'm like, man, this guy is balling out right now, and he's got like 49% true shooting. The Warriors are significantly worse with him on the floor.
1: <laughs> like, I don't know how to square this. Uh, well, to be clear, so the year before, the the first Brooklyn year, he was averaging uh, 0.9 off the catch. And the last like full season he had in Houston, James Harden was averaging 0. 0.5 threes off the catch. So like a substantial jump, like a full three more. Uh, and one and a half is like a good number for a guy that has the ball in his hands a lot, by the way. Like that's yeah, what, you know, 20% of his threes, whatever it's it is.
0: enough. It's enough that a defender might have to think, oh, maybe I should close out on him when he catches this ball. That yeah. was the issue. It's not just that like when he when he just wasn't taking catch-and-shoot threes, it wasn't like you're not getting the three points or the 1.4 or whatever expected value from that shot. It's that whoever's guarding James Harden is not closing out on him when he catches the ball, or at least you can close out softer because you're playing the drive. You're never closing out for a shot. You're always closing out for a drive when he catches it. If he just shoots enough that defenders will have to think about closing out on a shot, that's all you need because then he can get the step. Yeah, and he, and he, can, he can play four on five, break and, the paint.
1: Yeah, and and I I will say he's only making thirty or thirty one percent of his catch and shoot threes. I mean, it's one a game, so like who cares? Like there's when you shoot that few, there's actually not a ton of a difference between thirty one percent and like forty percent. Point blank, right? Like it's you know, there's not a fundamental difference even over the length of a season. Um as long as he's taking them though, you're right. Like that's what matters. Like it's getting the defense in rotation more than him hitting the shot.
0: John, I have more bad news. No, thanks. I've I've gone down a, a D'Anthony Melton mini rabbit hole and I've looked it up, and it turns out the Sixers are actually a lot worse with him on the floor this year. Not a full <laughs> season, not definitive, not conclusive, but no. Yeah. No, I just, just in, in this, for the sake of no, balance, I feel like Stop. we should say that. No, no. But the no. vibes, it, his, his on off numbers for just, just for vibes, significant plus when he's on the floor.
1: He's the best player in the NBA.
0: Won't accept it. Yeah. He, he, the Sixers are better. I, I, I don't know.
1: Like he is, like, I know we joke about vibes. He really does help the team though. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. They, they, well, this is, this is why like, He's also guarding threes yeah. a lot. like.
0: like and this, this is why, like you say all the time, on-off numbers are not conclu- – we shouldn't use on-off numbers as the end-all, as be-all, as evidence of this player is better or good or whatever. You know,
1: They're not relevant.
0: I wouldn't go that far, but especially for role players like a D'Anthony Melton, that number that's negative 7.2 is the difference between, between when he's on and when he's off, that number is heavily dependent on – who he's playing with the stars that happen to be on the court or off the court when he's on, you know, how many of, how much of his playing time overlaps with Embiid? that's going to influence his on off number a lot. Actually, so it's like, like,
1: yeah, if you look at any on off for the Sixers, it's like, well, you also have to take out any and all like is Embiid on, like it, it only counts right. if Embiid on the court with them.
0: And and that's why I generally only kind of use them if they're, if it's for stars that that's, that's really where you can put the most stock into those numbers because Everything's going through them. They actually are influencing everything. For Melton, that type of player mold, it's more like, okay, you you can augment what is around you on the floor, but you still need good stuff around you to plug into for your impact to be felt significantly. And, and I would guess, I don't have these numbers on hand, but if we looked at just the last couple of weeks, the Sixers would be significantly better with him on because he's playing a lot more of his minutes with their main guys, and he's making them a lot better, and he's making those lineups a lot better.
1: So, would you like to hear, per cleaning the glass, minimum 100 possessions, the Sixers have two of the seven best lineups in the NBA. They have number two and number seven. Can you guess the one that's number two? 100 possessions for what it's worth.
0: I would guess that it wouldn't have Embiid, or not Embiid, Harden or Maxi in it. You'd be wrong. Okay. Does it have just one of those guys? Yes. So, it's got to be Embiid. Yes. Probably Melton no no okay Embiid, tucker harris yes i'm gonna say harden nope maxi yes and god who who else would is it feibel yes wow
1: lineup in 106 possessions has a plus 33.4 point differential it's only 70th percentile offensively with one uh, one well
0: you said what would you say 106 possessions yeah, yeah. So, so just so people know, there's a lot of noise, and that's going yeah. to be very prone no, to variance. No, no.
1: This is why there's less noise than you think with that. Do you know what that lineup's defensive rating is? Because this, to me, the lower number of possessions, like defensive rating, can you can carry more with a smaller sample, especially if you look at personnel in that lineup. And this group has like four plus defenders, including two of the best in the league. Do you know what the defensive rating is for that group?
0: I don't, but I would be curious to know what their opponent's three point percentage is when that group is on the floor.
1: I don't have it directly in front of me.
0: I would get, cause I would guess if, if they have this amazing defensive rating, a lot of the time, that's just because opponents are shooting like 25% from three.
1: It's so first off the defensive rating is 86.4%.
0: Yeah. There's gotta like, be shooting variants in that.
1: Uh, I don't know, man, that's a really good defensive lineup. <laughs> it, well, it is, it, it's, it's good, but like eighty six. Like it might be like one of the best defensive lineups. Any, like, could you imagine that group, but like D'Anthony Melton instead of Tyrese Maxey, you have five plus defenders. Uh, in like three of the best or four of the best potentially in the NBA.
0: That's very solid. I'm just saying 86 is really good. I
1: can't, I can't find the specific uh, three-point shooting for a specific lineup. Sorry. It's too much effort right now. Um, but do you know this? the one that actually has more possessions is 224 possessions going that's seventh, and it's more balanced offensively and defensively. This is the one that is more interesting to me.
0: Got to be Embiid. Yep. Melton. Yep. Tucker and Harris? Yep. Is it Shake Milton? It's Harden. Ooh.
1: Their best five is the group that you and I said about, you know, if Maxi goes to the bench, that's one of the best labs in the league. Like, I think that gives credence to the idea. Now, I do think you have to play Maxi with, with Embiid uh, sometimes just because the defense will help. Unless you're playing Paul Reed, but we know Doc Rivers isn't uh, going to figure that one out. But that's a good decision Uh, because it takes them a while to come around on these things. Um, But yeah, I I believe that's one of their most used lineups, too. For what's worth the best lineup in the league, you'll love this, with minimum 100 possessions, only 113 possessions. Uh, The Pelicans with... uh...
0: Larry Nance Jr. at center?
1: Yes. Hell yeah. Keep guessing.
0: Okay, it's got to be Zion. Yep. CJ?
1: Nope.
0: Oh, Herb? Nope. Really? Dyson Daniels? No. my God. Larry Nance, Zion, Trey Murphy. No. I've named all of the good Pelicans. <laughs> oh, Jose Alvarado. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That's three. How is this possible? This this has to be the <laughs> flukiest thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is they're definitely giving up like a zero three point percentage. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I give up. Who are the two guys?
1: Marshall and Graham. Oh my god. Best lineup in the league. Najee
0: well, Marshall's been pretty good for them this I year. I know.
1: Plus 41.8. <laughs> it is yeah. funny. Though, well, there
0: you go, Willie Green. Now you just got to roll up that lineup in the playoffs and you're set.
1: There's only, uh, there are very few lineups that have gone over 500 possessions. Um, in all six, this is funny, seven, there are eight that have gone over 500. Seven of the eight are positive. The only one that's a negative is the the Rockets. <laughs> who are <laughs> a minus 11.7. Yeah, it's the most used lineup in the NBA. Of Kevin Porter, Jalen Green, Eric Gordon, Jabari Smith, and Alperen Sengun, It's 11.7.
0: That is a great tanking strategy, though, to just take a yeah, terrible oh. lineup and make it the most used lineup in the NBA.
1: The fourth most used is the eighth best. In the, in, so this, 594 possessions, fourth most used lineup in the NBA, also the eighth best lineup in the NBA, minimum uh, 100 possessions, Steph Clay, Wiggins, Draymond Lurie.
0: Yeah, at some point we maybe will have a conversation about how worried we are about the Warriors, but that is we had a semi-conversation. Of, I guess we kind of did, but that's one reason why I'm not freaking out. But I got to say, this has been one of our better reading some numbers segments. I know. I, in a long I time.
1: sometimes I do this in my free time. This won't surprise you. I know, Uh, but sometimes I just go on cleaning the glass and like I'm just looking, you know, at stuff. Yeah, uh, and you find things like that. That hard that. Uh, second Sixers lineup, the one that's seventh in the NBA, is actually their second most used lineup. And in large part because they've dealt with a ton of injuries this year. Uh, and it'll pass up their most used lineup in all likelihood tonight because it's Harden Mountain, Harris Tucker, Embiid. And it just needs two more possessions to pass that up. So
0: great slate of games tonight, by the way.
1: Yeah, very, very excited for it. So Toronto, Arsenal.
0: Cleveland. Those are always good matchups. Milwaukee, Brooklyn.
1: Sixers, Clippers, stylistically is a fun one.
0: Blazers, Nuggs.
1: You know, you know it's crazy. Phoenix. I think this is the first time Kawhi's played the Sixers since the thing happened. Is it really? I think it is. I don't remember, but I think so.
0: That would be crazy.
1: Because I think he sat out when you and I were there.
0: No, no, he played. He played. He definitely did. Because I remember watching him hit like a bunch of insane mid-range shots.
1: Then that was the last. So time.
0: We this is this will be the first time since we saw him. That was like two seasons, three seasons ago
1: right before the pandemic, month before the pandemic started. Yeah. Awesome game, by the way. That was- Great game.
0: That was a fun that. game. I think that's a good place to leave it. If you enjoyed this episode or any other episode of Read and React, make sure to leave us a rating and review. Those help out the show a lot. You can also send us an email at readandreactpodcast at gmail.com, readandreactpodcast at gmail.com, mailbag questions, logistical questions about the show, whatever you have, feedback, comments, critiques, whatever it is, Read Podcast. At gmail.com also feel free to share this show either on social media or via word of mouth if you know someone you think would like it feel free to spread the word uh, that helps out a lot
1: listen for transparency's sake that lineup that you said it must be a tiny three-point shooting <laughs> the they're shooting teams are shooting 20.7 percent from three-point. there it is
0: there it is <laughs> yeah that that doesn't surprise me um john what are you working on over at the center daily times right now
1: a lot uh, heading out to Los Angeles next week for the Rose Bowl. Uh, Going to have a bunch of coverage of Penn State, Utah out there, of course. Uh, We've got some men's basketball stuff. actually just put a story out last night, sat behind the bench for the game. Shout out to Penn State's uh, media relations staff for you know, setting me up to do that. Uh, We're a story about sort of that perspective. Not the usual like minute-by-minute thing, just in a main bar and added some extra color to it. Uh, some oh, genuine
0: access to a college basketball program. Imagine that.
1: That's you know, great. Crazy. I, I really appreciate it. You know they are they're really good about that stuff, yeah. and also on the lookout. Be on the lookout for a, another uh, fairly long feature, and hopefully the next week or so. Oh
0: heck yeah! And you're going out to LA for the bowl game yeah. this that, weekend, so be
1: Wednesday. Wednesday, I leave, Wednesday. Um, and we'll be in Los Angeles for six days. Uh, the Clippers and Lakers are both on road trips the entire time I'm out there, uh, which is very typical. Um, and where so you
0: I'll- aren't going to see a Clippers game anyway.
1: It depends on if they played like the Sixers, I'd have like sat through it. But, yeah, otherwise I wouldn't. Have, I would have gone to see a Lakers game, though. That would have been really cool um, to go see them play at the Crypt. Um, but, alas, it's it's not the case. Uh, but still so excited. That should be really good. Uh, you know, the Penn State-Utah game is the last bowl game that isn't the national title game this year, the way the schedule sets up. And it also, like, should be one of the best matchups of bowl season. I'm, you know, pretty excited to watch
2: it. Everyone, go
0: make sure to check out that coverage over at the Center Daily Times. You can read me covering the NBA at the Step Back, as mentioned earlier. Had a piece come out today. This is, what is today, Friday afternoon? Sure. um, About Kevin Herter and kind of the value of movement shooting and then gets into a little bit of something we discussed a couple episodes ago about kind of the limitations of heliocentric offenses. So if you want to read about that, it's on my Twitter page. It's at the Step Back. Uh, You can find it. It's on the internet. Other than that, Everyone stay safe. Happy holidays, whatever holiday it is you're celebrating, or even if you're not having, they're celebrating a holiday this, uh, this December. I hope everyone is staying safe, staying warm, taking care of yourselves, taking care of each other, and most importantly, staying hydrated. John, until next time, I'll talk to you later.
1: Go birds. Talk to you soon.